Welcome back to the Now Screening Podcast. Our discussion of the social network begins at the four-minute mark, and our discussion of burning begins at the hour and two-minute mark. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Andy, and welcome back to the Now Screening Podcast. I just think it's worth mentioning that thanks to all of your support, we got 2,200, no, wait, make that 22,000 listens in the first 24 hours of airing. So with that being said, you're now listening to one of the newest and most exclusive podcasts, not only in the film genre, but overall. And I want to welcome you to our second podcast of the spring semester. And with that being said, we'll be talking about the social network today. <laughs> oh, man. One, one take, Andy. That was beautiful. All right, everyone. Well, welcome back to the Now Screening Podcast. I don't think there can be a better introduction than what was just given, but I'm here to attempt it. Uh, boys, how do we think last week went? I for one, was very impressed. Uh, I thought the conversation was riveting, insightful. Um, I think we brought a lot to the table in terms of content for the two shows we discussed, the show and the movie we discussed. And uh, overall, I just had a really fun time doing it. Yes. I had a really um, fun time with it too. Um, but I, I think we just we've been talking about movies together for so long we kind of had that natural chemistry going and i also think it helped that we were talking about some really fun content like tiger king and portrait of a lady on fire and i think today will be just as good yeah and like i like bringing in some of the outside or i guess outsider perspective like art and design and all that kind of stuff which i have some stuff lined up today talking about uh social network and product design so I guess that's technically or generally the perspective I'm going to be bringing anyway. And that's kind of how it goes forward with me. Yeah, it was it was really fun to see how, you know, obviously I know you guys and I know your perspectives, but it was fun to see it play out and how other people <coughs> responded to it. Um, just as a quick update for the listeners, for the fans out there, you know, the, the 22,000 strong that we are. Um <laughs> We are currently still working with Anchor to get our podcast distributed onto uh, all of the platforms that they offer. Um, given the current situation with the outbreak, the, the pandemic going on, um, getting the podcast onto certain sites is proving a little more difficult and a little more time consuming than we originally thought. So just bear with us. I think by the time this goes live, we should be everywhere. But as of right now, we're just on Anchor, Overcast, and Spotify. But soon we should be everywhere that you can feasibly listen to us. Um, so with that being said, I think that's everything uh, to do with introduction. Um, oh, I, uh, Funnily enough, I realized this last week or it was pointed out to me. I mentioned that I live in Ithaca, but I did not mention that I go to school at Cornell. <laughs> I strategically avoided that for some reason. I don't know why. Um, couldn't, couldn't tell you why, but uh, anyway. Um, okay, so this week we have two movies that are available on Netflix for you to uh, watch during social isolation. Um, and one of them just so happens to be uh, about social interactions and how social interactions have drastically changed since uh, 
the invention of, or the, the advent, I guess I should say, of, uh, of Facebook. So Andy, I know since this is one of your favorite movies, you should, mm-hmm. uh, you should, you should talk a little bit about the movie that we're watching. Introduce it. Give us an introduction. Yeah. So besides the bit that I did at the beginning as <laughs> a member of the Phoenix club, um, the social network, uh, came out in 2010, uh, was directed by David Fincher and at the time got a lot of critical acclaim i believe it won best screenplay at the oscars and it also won best um original set score as Uh, well yeah and sound editing i think and sound editing no it was nominated my bad it was nominated and then there were also some really incredible performances from jesse eisenberg um, justin timberlake andrew garfield Rooney Mara and more. So, and then you also got Army Hammer as well. There's so <laughs> many to mention. Army Hammer is incredible in this movie, and it it's a movie that you know got a lot of critical acclaim at the beginning, but it's aged very well, and it's probably regarded even higher now than it was then. And I think part of that is because in 2010 when it came out. We didn't realize how uh, generation-defining and culturally significant the movie was. So that's something we'll talk about today. And oh, last week when we were talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I talked about how much I love dialogue. And that's something we've got to talk about with this one as well. Because oh, yeah. dialogue fire, in this fire script on this. So Aaron Sorkin, um, baby, the goat. <laughs> yeah. I think so I've called I, uh, seven different people the goat on this podcast already. But, you know, Aaron, <laughs> but Aaron Sorkin deserves that goat title for what he did with this movie. And if, if you want, we can just start off with talking about that dialogue and writing and screenplay with Sorkin um, if you want. It's up to you, before, though. Before we get into that, let's um let's do the spoiler free review thing. Oh, that true. Was something, <laughs> yeah, that was something that people were were into last time. Um, because, you know, we want to entice people to watch the movies um without spoiling it. You know, so yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, the Social Network is uh, following the story of a young Mark Zuckerberg uh, studying at Harvard. And his the tumultuous beginning of Facebook and not only the company itself, but his relationships with other people and his personality. This movie is not so much just about the platform of Facebook. It's about his friendships and his relationships and what he was willing to do to get to the top. So I think that's part of what makes it so entertaining. It's not just a movie about Facebook. For sure. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that really like sums it up perfectly. I don't really have anything to add in terms of content. Um, if you think a movie about, uh, nerds at Harvard, uh, coding and partying and getting into financial trouble sounds boring. Um, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> goddamn wrong yeah. about that. <laughs> this it's movie dramatic and funny. is riveting um, from start to finish. And that's in part the 
dialogue by Aaron Sorkin, the directing by David Fincher, the performances, the score by Trent Reznor uh, and Atticus Ross, you know, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it rocks. So um, without spoiling everything, um, although I would argue there's not really a lot to spoil if you know anything right. about Facebook, right? It's like, right. what what is spoiling this movie, right? But anyway, um, my spoiler-free review of this is what are you doing if you haven't seen this? Right. Like, <laughs> this is a ubiquitous Facts. movie in, in terms of thematic content, in terms of um, the, the dialogue it puts forward about um, billionaires and billionaire culture. Um, this is an incredibly relevant movie in 2010, and it has only become more relevant now. Um, so stop listening to this freaking podcast. Sit your butt down, fire up Netflix, and watch this movie ASAP. And I also like just forgot how good Andrew Garfield was, and this is probably one of his best so roles, in my good. opinion. Anyway, because I've only seen him in like Spider Man and something. That was something probably. <laughs> that was something I was talking. That was something I, I was talking to Tyler about when we were drafting the pod, and I'm probably going to talk about it more. But just like in short, incredible performance, and I think he. I don't know if this is a hot take. I think he should have won or at least been nominated for best supporting actor that year. Yeah. It was. So good. Was, I was Christian Bale the winner for that year of like that boxing yes, movie? Yes, the or fighter, okay. which was yeah, it was a good movie, and he had a good performance. I can't lie. Yeah. but I loved Andrew Garfield's performance in this. We'll get into uh, what this was up against and lost to at the Oscars somewhat soon, but uh, I think I'm gonna call it right here. From this point on, uh, we are entering spoiler territory. So if you have not seen The Social Network. This is your last warning. Go watch this great movie so we can spoil it and have an interesting conversation about it. All right. Exactly. Well, let's dive in to Aaron Sorkin's witty, awesome, quippy, fast, just perfect dialogue. Yes. Andy, you're going to start uh, us off? Sure. So... You really get introduced to Sorkin's style of dialogue literally right from the beginning. And it's now one of my most favorite scenes in probably all movies is Mark's conversation with Erica at the bar at Harvard. And it's what makes it unique is Sorkin's style of writing is that well, first of all, he catches, he captures Mark's way of speaking perfectly in that, in that, in that, and Jesse Eisenberg does as well, in that Mark has this very roundabout way of speaking, very fast paced, very hard to, um, hard to like follow. So it's, it's an iconic dialogue between him and Erica, and it really sets the tone of the movie and his motivations as well, I believe. Yeah, so, I, it's, yeah. it's this um, brutal, it's really brutal to watch because as anyone with any sense of social interaction etiquette, you know he's being just a total jerk. He's being yeah. such a condescending, yeah. arrogant uh, you know, pretentious Harvard kid to this girl who's like clearly <laughs> trying. Boston. Yeah. Well, she's trying to give a shit about him, right? Like, yeah. like she's trying to be interested. She's trying to care about these finals clubs that he's getting into. And he just demeans her at every turn. Um, 
but it's not like it's not like it's written like a traditional fight. It has no. like ups and downs and back and forth. And like, you know, it's not just like, uh, I don't like you. It's like, right. <laughs> no, it's so nuanced. It's rare that I, <laughs> I see a movie where the character references something that they said like nine lines ago and then yeah. they bring it up again. And it's, <laughs> it's so interesting because it's it's accurate in how Mark Zuckerberg probably talks in real life. And it, Rooney Mara also in this scene gives an incredible performance. And not not just the style of the writing, but the hard-hittingness of some of these lines is incredible. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when Rooney Mara says that dating him is like dating a Stairmaster. And I just think it's one of the most memorable lines of the movie. And... Uh, it just really hits home what this relationship was like between the two of them. No, and like when you're the smartest guy in the room like that, it's just, I mean, I, I just feel like I can relate to that sometimes because I do live mm-hmm. with like my little cousins and then trying to talk to them about stuff is like, it's like pulling teeth. But like, yeah, that, I think that was very well written in the way that he's just so like far ahead of her when he's speaking and she's like really just pulling from him like, please like just be relatable and like just trying to be like a friend, right? And the thing is, like, she she's smart, too. Yeah, obviously. And, and he's just so <laughs> pretentious and condescending for no reason. And, and I think I think that gets summed up with another line that Rooney Mara has that I love, where she says, you know, Mark, I bet you're going to be a really successful computer guy someday. And you're going to think that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. The reason they're not going to like you is because you're an asshole. And that's one of bars. the best lines in the movie yeah. as well. Bars. That's <laughs> called bars. Bars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't watched a whole ton of Aaron Sorkin content, but I've seen enough of The West Wing to know that this is just how he likes to write. And, you know, a political drama... And this sort of um, almost law thriller this movie ends up becoming really suits his um, his style and his understanding. He has a very um, it's meticulous, but it's also chaotic style of writing what people are, are saying, because there's constantly people talking over each other in this movie, um, which is really hard to write. If you think about sitting down and writing a conversation where people interrupt each other, it's, it's really difficult. Um, so his style. Also, oh, go ahead. I was going to, just real quick. I was going to say, he also has people make mistakes, not while talking, not, not like major mistakes, but, uh, there's this one part where Mark kind of starts off and he stutters and he's like, uh, and, and that's on purpose. And that's interesting to see in a movie. It's just very realistic. It's awesome. It's it's one of the defining parts of this movie that makes it entertaining because effectively what this movie boils down to on a scene by scene basis is an interspliced narrative between two different court cases and Mark's time at Harvard and interacting with the major players in his life, uh, the Winklevoss twins, uh, Eduardo Saverin and Sean Parker eventually. Um, and I think, uh, if 
the dynamic between those characters hadn't been so perfectly written, this movie would have been boring as hell. It would have fallen yeah, flat on its face. Of course. To to reference, I guess, roast uh, other movies that tried to do this sort of thing and, and failed. Both of the Steve Jobs movies really wanted to be this. Um, I haven't seen those, but they didn't look very good. And they're both like yeah. they're both like they want to be this movie and they're not this movie. Um, mm-hmm. which is a testament to how good this movie is if right people are imitating it but um, and i think a lot uh i think a lot of people when they first well the trailer was amazing for this movie but i think when a lot of people maybe first heard about it they didn't think it was going to be that interesting a movie about facebook that's just an odd concept and it's not uh, there weren't uh, there weren't really movies being made about social media back in 2010 right. as far as i know i, I feel like that was definitely idea. a joke right when it came out it was like oh the facebook movie everyone on facebook was like oh the facebook movie's coming out right. it's gonna be stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly someone was like knocking on but my the door. trailer was amazing. <laughs> when is the twitter movie coming out <laughs> Yeah, no. I, that's what I thought about. I was like, how ridiculous would it be? Who's, how, what would people who's playing action? Jack in the Twitter movie? Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, tw- Twitter Jack dresses way better than Facebook Mark. Just saying. Just throwing it out. The, uh, the Gap sweatshirt in the flip-flops from oh Mark. My God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The first but, picture I Googled is just this a glorious beard. So I can already tell. Do you guys have any other this is a random question i'm throwing in do you guys have any other favorite moments of dialogue or lines specifically that you like besides the opening like i guess speaking about the dynamic between them i think that i guess from a design perspective seeing how like in comparison like mark and eduardo how they approach the business and the strategy i thought was like really cool to see them write it from Mm -hmm. a designer's perspective because you know, like, even though he's a software engineer, he's a designer, and you can see, like, the user flows on the walls and, like, everything that I do in work. And, like, he's, he's just thinking, he's putting the users first. And then, I guess an example of this would be when they first meet with um, with Sean in the restaurant, and he's like, oh, tell me about your success so far. And then Eduardo starts talking about, like, we're at 29 schools now, we have 75,000 members, and he's like, shut the fuck up, all right? It's like, tell me your strategy. Right. <laughs> and then Mark just goes off and talks about, like, targeting, they wanted Baylor, and then they targeted the schools around the area, and it's, like, that kind of product design strategy that is, like, that's going to bring you the success, and that's the thing that, you know, these entrepreneurs and the heads of these companies are, like, that's the way they're thinking. It's not just thinking in the numbers of, okay, we need to get 100 schools by the end of the summer. It's how do we like have the most effective strategy. And I thought that was so cool to see it and written so well um, in the mm-hmm. script. Yeah. I love their dynamic. And I, yeah, I think Mark and Eduardo really couldn't get much different, which is what makes their friendship so interesting. Right. You know, Mark, Mark is fairly socially awkward to say the least. Eduardo seems to do pretty well in social situations. He gets that bid to be in the Phoenix and when you were talking about their work dynamic, you know, Eduardo in the movie gets a lot of flack for focusing on the investors, which, you know, might have been fair. But I did feel a little bad for him, considering that he was the one who initially funded Facebook. Yeah. So that's really the only he's really the only reason, at least in the movie, that it got off the ground in the first place. So I did feel some sympathy for Eduardo. 
You should have simply invented native ads on Facebook. (laughs) 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 I mean, to even have some of the foresight that they did, I mean, I don't know how much of it was dramatized for the movie, but I have a feeling it was all fairly accurate to their thought processes. They, They were talking about some stuff that, you know, other social medias, I mean, there was no social media at the time, right? Like Facebook right. was the, I mean, there was MySpace, but like Friendster. That, <laughs> yeah. Like all, all of those sites look, I mean, they just look so pathetic compared to Facebook because Mark mostly, I guess, in your words or in your, in, from your perspective was a, he had the design mind, would you say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why the website is still massive, right? right? Like, I mean, Facebook has more users than like anything else. So I think, I think, um, I hope not too much of that was dramatized just yeah. for the movie. I mean, yeah, I feel like that's just how designers talk anyway, too. So we'll see. Cause all biopics kind of end up being like that. And this is like probably one of the best biopics I've seen. Um, I think Mark did not denies a lot of the legitimacy of the movie, but then again, that's coming from Mark. So oh, this movie <laughs> makes Mark. <laughs> this movie makes Mark look terrible. So of course he's yeah. going to deny, deny, deny. Right. right. <laughs> um. Did before we get time? into oh, oh, oh favorite sorry. scene. Oh yeah, no, 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 definitely. Um, I think talking about favorite scenes. Um. I forgot how good the courtroom scene is when the Winklevoss's lawyer is asking Mark if he has his full attention or not. Yeah. yeah. And Mark's like looking out the window. He's like, it's raining. He's like, I don't care about this. Shut up. Like, you're wrong. If they would have invented Facebook, they would have invented Facebook. Your clients aren't smart. They're just meatheads. Shut up. And like <laughs> the delivery, the the just snot-nosed, like thumb on the nose, like go to hell attitude that Jesse Eisenberg brings in that scene is just, oh, it's gross in like the most indulgent and best way. But yeah, I mean, that was vicious. (laughs) It's like, you have the the minimal amount of my attention is I think that's what he said. And I'm like, oh man, (laughs) shit. Yeah. Um, my, Actually, that's that's one of them. But then I think the scene that, not in the context of the movie, just like if you were to cut every scene out of this thing and look at it on its own, what's my favorite scene? The regatta scene in oh man, all of the Mountain King, baby, oh, oh. so good. Whew. So that actually leads us into a into a couple directions we can go um, with that because. The regatta scene is one of the best edited sports sequences. It has an amazing soundtrack. It has amazing visual, physical acting. It has amazing cinematography. Um, what are we thinking, boys? What What do we want to talk about next with this movie? I mean, wow. you want to dive into that one, or are we just gonna? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we let's talk do more about that scene. Let's, let's, let's I thought that rowing scene was scene. cool because oh, just all right. Let's let's even, pick apart the scene. Even just like the way that they they edited it with the um, kind of miniature effect and blurring out the things, making it look small, and just I guess how that 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 form conveys, you know, what these Winkle what the Winklevoss twins are 
doing now is just so trivial at that point in the movie. Like, you know, their Facebook is already taking off. They're so far behind already. And then now they're losing this race. And <laughs> it's just like, like one scene after another, even the scene after that, it was just like, oof, big. Oof it's amazing how that loss serves as a catalyst to get them to take legal action. Right. right? And like, that's, that's such brilliant, like, um, screenplay, you know what I mean? To, yeah. to have that proceed and then follow is just, it's brilliant. Yeah. And I think, um, I think a really funny follow-up scene to that is when they're talking to that older man right after the race and he keeps mentioning how close their loss was. He's like, oh, that was the closest loss I've ever seen. <laughs> I've never seen a race be decided by less than one boat length. I love that Wait, part. Who is, who is the Prince guy? Because whenever I hear like like a white dude and he's like, oh, Prince or whatever of something, he had like an American accent. I'm like, is there like some sort of I, USA weren't they racing? Weren't they racing against Holland, oh, the Netherlands or okay. something? I might be wrong. I, I would just feel like they'd Do have you know an Tyler? accent or something. I was under the impression that it was Wales, but... Oh, okay, uh, I might be wrong. Here, I can tell you. They're rowing but, against the Hollandia Dutch Rowing Club in Oxford, Cambridge. So you are absolutely correct. They were racing the Dutch. Gotcha. Cool. But anyways, I think something really cool about that scene is that when it comes to David Fincher's directing and the choices made in this movie, like the creative choices... With a movie about Facebook, you would not expect there to be this long, dramatic scene about rowing <laughs> in a, mm. a race. In it, like you're not going to find something like that in the Steve Jobs movies or something like that. As far as I know, it's it's just what makes this so unique is that they're not afraid to. They weren't afraid to um, steer away from just the Facebook content. They were they were willing to dive into other scenes and focus on other things like the rowing yeah it ends up being i think incredibly relevant to the story actually in like this miraculous Mm -hmm. whether it be you know a product of fate or just that's actually how it happened and it is actually how it happened but uh that they can use the the winklevoss's overwhelming masculinity as this foil (laughs) to mark right, right? like there's six five and there's two of them <laughs> oh god that's such a good line too oh my god <laughs> like this has i think this movie has a good handful of those banger one-liners six five two twenty there's two of me <laughs> two of me <laughs> so good army hammer kills it i'm sorry that was like going off topic but i no. just love that line so much i i think this this movie has so much going on with it that going off topic is like totally, totally, totally fine. Um, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> on the topic of overwhelming masculinity and Army Hammer killing it, guys. Army Army Hammer kills this movie. <laughs> right? Yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention him in the intro when I was naming the actors because he might have. It's so hard to say a best performance, but this performance is incredible. It's so unique. I I heard that a lot in an interview with him that a lot of people didn't didn't know that 
he uh, was just doing this role himself. They literally thought he had a twin. So, <laughs> no way. So like, so in this interview he did, he was saying that uh, former directors that he'd worked with before the social network reached out to him afterwards, and they said, "Hey, why didn't you tell us you had a twin? Like we could have used that in the movies." And he was like, "No, that was just me, man." <laughs> like, so I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I think. Um... Not to jump back to this, but I'm going to jump back to this. That's that's a product of the amazing editing. Um, in the scenes where there are two of them on screen at the same time and you see both of them, uh, there's not a lot of motion with the camera, right? right? It's a very still. I mean, in in general, the camera in this movie is very still, but like that's, that's a technical detail. The people aren't listening for the nitty gritties, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the way that they've edited... Uh, two army hammers into this movie is just, yeah, it's freaking unbelievable, uh, and amazing. Um, that the, and you know, not to be like, Oh, they did that in 2010 and make that sound like a long time ago. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that was 10 years. Well, you ago. don't really see it often now either. I, 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 I don't know if I've seen something like that since then where it's the same guy. Well, I'm know. sure there's some, that, but that Paul Rudd show on Netflix, uh, <laughs> I haven't oh, even God. watched that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have not seen <laughs> the evil, the evil twin who comes back to kill him or whatever. I think it was a clone or something. I can okay, think. Guys, I... Oh, hold on. What Andy? I was gonna, I was gonna say, I have a fun question, and it's really difficult, and I don't even know the answer, but I want your guys' take on it. Shoot. If you had to choose a best performance between Army Hammer, Andrew Garfield, and Jesse Eisenberg. So, so I'm just going to say those. Well, you know, I'll throw in Justin Timberlake. Who would you choose? God. <laughs> wow, JT was such a scumbag in the movie. I was just like, I wanted to punch him in the face so bad. Yeah. Just like, like, I love giving props to the, those like bad guys. But, oh man, that is a tough one, dude. Oh my God. Dude, I don't uh, even know. I, I was, asked that before having my own answer. I was terrible. I kind of... I kind of pre-gamed this question a little bit. Um, I was I was talking to uh, Stephanie about this a little bit, and uh, I we kind of agreed that um, the Justin Timberlake uh, performance at times felt a little bit like he was just Justin Timberlake being Justin Timberlake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I truly do think this is his best performance. I mean, it beats the shit out of in time, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and like yeah, everything think, else yeah. he's in, he's definitely 100% a novelty cast. Like you, you don't cast him because he's a good actor. You cast him because he's Justin Timberlake. Right, right. right. But in this, I believe that he was acting quite well. So I, I think he's the lowest on my tier list of, of God tier performances in this movie. My vote goes to Andrew Garfield because to support alongside the character that Mark is being, you know, there's so many scenes where in his face alone, you can tell, you know, Eduardo Mark or, um, Eduardo slash uh, uh, Andrew doesn't want to do what Mark is is trying to convince him to do. And we've all been there. We all had the one friend who's like, just, just you know, believe me, this time it's going to work or whatever, right? Like the desperate friend who you want to be right, but you know you can't trust them because, 
you know, they're, they're crazy or unreliable. And I think, um, I think Andrew Garfield captured that physically. He's just this guy who wants approval from his father. He wants to be in the Phoenix club. He wants to make money. He wants to be successful, whatever. Um, but he also has this like moral conflict that you see visually. Uh, and I think that's, that's really a testament to how wonderfully Andrew Garfield does in this movie. Yeah, I can't really be controversial here. I agree with you completely. Uh, of those, I'm going to go with Andrew Garfield. I loved his performance. He has He's dramatic in it. He has funny lines as well. His, his dynamic with Jesse Eisenberg is incredible. And like you said, with Jesse Eisenberg's incredible performance, it's crazy that the guy next to him stands shines just as well right and let um jail did you have did no, you have i another, mean like now uh, that you guys been, said that i wholeheartedly agree um i mean the, the, there's just two heavy hitters like jesse and andrew at the forefront that was just amazing in my opinion so i think mm-hmm. i'm just gonna be equal for those two but andrew awesome yep <laughs> i mean <laughs> And like, here's the other thing, like Andrew Garfield can act extremely well as he's demonstrated in this movie. Uh, uh, why didn't he do that in Spider-Man though? (laughs) (laughs) That's because they wrote Spider-Man to be cool. It's the wrong time. It's just, I know this was not, those Spider-Man movies were, were wrong, were wrongly written. I know they wanted they wanted to make him so cool because he's a cool guy. Andrew Garfield's yeah. cool. He's slick. He's charismatic. Uh, but I just oh, I remember the third thing I saw him in. It was the uh, that like army World War Two thing where he's like the, Hacksaw uh, Ridge. Yeah, dude. Oh <laughs> he, wow. I, he did really well in that. Yeah. Like oh well. I'm Have you guys seen un- nobody? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen under under the Silver Lake? Uh no, is he no. In that too? Uh yeah, Let's he's see. the he's the star. Um, A24, baby. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. Go watch it. Listeners at home, go watch Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he does He does really well in that too. Um, I, I like him in more... Um, oh, and he's in Silence too, the Scorsese movie. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. No, I need to watch yeah, that This one. guy has a good pedigree. Me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm done talking shit. This guy rocks. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you do, this, you do this two bad Spider-Man a, films and uh, <laughs> people start shitting on no, this, this is now an Andrew Garfield stan podcast. <laughs> uh, the, the first official king of the now screening podcast is Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, guess we can so, go okay. on to the, uh, the actresses. Yes. Oh, that's good. Let's. See who we have. We got what, Rashida Jones. We got, got Rooney Mara. Well, let's talk or, about which ones did we think were good. Brenda Song the, as Crazy know. Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I, I know. So Tyler has some interesting thoughts on this. I liked Brenda Song as the Crazy Girlfriend to Eduardo. Uh, but there are some scenes where it could be argued it goes a little over the top <laughs> with yeah, the yeah. with the dropping the paper in the burning trash can and whatnot. But overall, you know, I can't be too critical of Brenda Song's role here. I thought she did well, and I liked her in it. The, I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, you can go uh, ahead. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna voice my 
complaint about her. You know, she has only been in like 10 things ever. So, you know, one of those things being this movie, um, this was big for her and you could tell she was really going for it. She really wanted to be crazy because this was her first, this was her first film and what a amazing opportunity, right? To go from the sweet life (laughs) Disney channel (laughs) to this. Um, and I, so I really think, you know, all respect to her. She totally went for it and it works in the first scene and second scene that she's in. But for me, when she is saying, I texted you 46 times, you didn't respond like that whole scene actually, (laughs) um, it was so unrealistic to me where the rest of the movie was so grounded and perfect that I don't know. I came away from that with a bad taste in my mouth. So, and I, I guess you could say that's partially David Fincher or David Fincher or Aaron Sorkin's fault. Was that scene, was that scene for her really necessary even for her character to do that? That's a good yeah, point. It is. Yeah. The, the one thing that I was going to say about that is like the, the first time watching it in forever. Like I think the first time I watched it was, I mean, back when this movie came out and then when I came on Netflix, I watched it again but she looks just like my sister. <laughs> oh no! Like college age Brenda song, when she turns around during that assembly or the the Bill Gates talk, I was like, "Oh my god!" Oh <laughs> like, no! This is just like my sister. <laughs> so yeah, I, I kind of like it's. It was really weird for me to evaluate the performance because the whole time, like like Hira, that's something Hira would say. It's probably something Hira would do. Going off like that, being crazy, burning a trash can and scarf. <laughs> I, I guess I just should do that. <laughs> Sorry, Hira. We're, we're just dragging Jail's sister in this podcast now. This is not no. the purpose of this podcast. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's all love. It's all love. <laughs> that's but, that's um, pod little sister, baby. That's That's... <laughs> she's Hell gonna yeah. should I, she's gonna go should on I, social media just trash should it. i should i go off on the performance that i didn't like very much yeah sure. go crazy okay the one that i don't think aged well and one that i'm not sure i even liked very much when i first watched it is rashida jones and her performance as the sec uh second year uh employee at the law firm yeah i i i just Every conversation with her and Mark seems forced and it's corny in my opinion. (laughs) And I also, I also just don't like how her whole, her whole role just seems to be kissing up to Mark. And I'm just not a fan. It's, it's like she was put in there to be that character that makes Mark seem like a good guy or a little bit more relatable and she's kind of praising him a lot and i just didn't like it and i'm not saying she's a bad actress i just am not a fan of that performance that's exactly what she is um she's the emotional confidant almost for mark i would say the emotional foil for sure is a better way to put it um which at the time uh you know let's consider the context here uh, 2010, 20, 2009, this movie's getting made. Um, the, the, the sphere of, uh, the internet doesn't hate Mark Zuckerberg at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
we don't know at this point that Mark Zuckerberg is selling our information to Russia and China and whoever else. Right. Um, right. I feel like internet paranoia and internet hatred for billionaires has exponentially um, grown since this movie came out. So at the time, um, an emotional support character for Mark to humanize him a little bit um, probably felt pretty necessary, I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why it hasn't aged very well is because now it's just like, no, no, this guy, this guy is a piece of shit and no one like, like he's not empathetic. He doesn't need empathy because he doesn't have empathy. Right. So. And again, like uh, the lines just compared to some of the other incredible dialogue in this movie just don't hit the same for me. For example, like the line I referenced in my intro when she goes, your site got 2,200 hits in 24 hours? Yeah. I, I don't know. It just felt a little much. I think at the moment she said that line, I'm like, I, I don't know. I just kind of just cringed a little bit. It's like, really? <laughs> yeah. It just, like, that's what I'm talking about when I say I don't really like biopics. It's like, it's kind of just like lines like that that are just leading you like, oh, here's like a little fact and this is how you're supposed to be reacting to that or whatever like mm-hmm. you know it's just it just really kind of makes me cringe sometimes right but shout out to Rooney Mara though she doesn't play a big role but she is incredible in this movie in the two scenes that she is in uh, particularly the first one that I talked about but she blows she blows it away she blows it out of the water oh yeah for sure and this kind of um I was reading this at least. Um, She wasn't really a known actress before this. Mm -hmm. And in two scenes made a career for herself. Like that's like Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like, like 10 lines of dialogue and now you have a career, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she, just, she's great. She's wonderful. Just think about how hard it probably was to pull off that first conversation in the bar. Like, I, I can't even imagine. If they're anything like you, bud, they did it in the first take. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't lie. I might have been looking at a reference on my notes app on my phone, but hey, we'll take it. <laughs> you know, we're going to cast Andy as a Twitter jack, actually. is what's going to oh, happen. Yeah. This will be oh, no. his- this will be your your role to launch your acting career. Yeah. <laughs> put, oh uh, man, I think yeah. Put Andy in the Rick Owens outfit, baby. That's what I want to see. <laughs> That's what the people want. Oh um, man, I don't know if I want to play Twitter Jack. I think he has some controversies of his own with suspending accounts and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, that'd be a that'd be an interesting movie. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Anyway, um, so Tyler, what do you want to talk about next? Okay, um, let's get into something that near and dear to my heart. Let's talk about Nine Inch Nails. Let's talk about Ooh. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, wait, uh, I got to get the keyboard before we talk about sound. You guys, we can talk about soundtrack. <laughs> Let me get my keyboard real quick. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay, so I'll introduce, I'll introduce this while JL uh, gets his keyboard. Okay. Let's go. 
So for the uninitiated, the soundtrack for this movie is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross uh, together make up the band Nine Inch Nails, which is a industrial rock slash ambient rock slash experimental noise band that has been making some of the most um, forward thinking and powerful music for both film uh, and just music in general uh, since the early 90s. Um, Their album, The Downward Spiral and The Fragile and Pretty Hate Machine, so three albums uh, actually, all those albums are some of my favorites and they just put out two new albums this year uh, and they're both fantastic. So listen to those while you're in quarantine. But anyway, anyway, back to, back to this, they did the soundtrack to this, uh, movie among a bunch of other movies, but this was really the one that I think launched, um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross into like Hans Zimmer territory mm-hmm. of film guys, like film score guys, like these guys, if you get these guys scoring your movie, the soundtrack is going to be awesome. Um, right, it just Black took Ops them to two? that next level. They scored Black Ops I, 2? I'm pretty sure Trent Reznor scored one of the Call of Duties, and I'm pretty sure oh it was my. Black Ops 2, dude. The legend. That's my man. <laughs> um, uh, so I think it would have been a massive snub if they hadn't won Best Original Score. So I was so happy when I looked it up and I saw that they won that year, because it was absolutely deserved. The music is this incredible mix of synthy, dark, eerie, like um, ambient stuff going on. And then randomly it'll bust into like almost like a club banger, like pulsing bass lines and like, <laughs> you know, uh, these it's it's so perfect. And the sound editing in the club scene. Oh, shit. That oh, gets me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so good. Well the way that we get introduced to the soundtrack is incredible too. So you start off with that amazing scene between Mark and Erica, and then Mark runs home across the entire Harvard campus with hand covers brews playing in the background with that piano. And it's just, it just sets the mood. It's amazing. I, I want to figure out that leitmotif because I just love that simple one. Well, I'll try to mute my mic while I figure it out, but keep, you can keep talking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that uh, JL alluded to it. It's a, it's a leitmotif. It's it's played many times throughout uh, the movie. Uh, maybe not many times, but if you listen to the soundtrack, like external of um, watching the film, um, you you hear that motif a lot, and I think it really captures. It's very lonely. It's a very um, lonesome piece and it captures how you know the tagline for this movie was you can't get to a million friends without making a few enemies right and there's a couple lines in this movie so that good. are like he couldn't rub together three friends to make a four <laughs> so i think um the wherewithal of of trent reznor and atticus ross to make a score that is lonely um pensive very patient is uh it's brilliant it's very inspiring um as a musician to see that level of care going into uh something Mm -hmm. like this yeah i think that's nearly a perfect scene 
with him running home with the backdrop of the different buildings on the Harvard campus and that kind of beautiful, almost haunting sound in the background of hand covers bruise. It, it's the perfect introduction to the movie. Um, I think part of what makes that scene incredible as well is the, um, Oh, JL, are you about to play this? I think it's sweet. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it goes like, uh. Ooh. Yeah! Oh, that's perfect! (laughs) I love that so much. Hell yeah. There it is. There's the leitmotif. Um, okay, wait. Fun fact, before we get into the, uh, my last thought I'm all over the place tonight guys I'm sorry Um, I'm sorry (laughs) no it's it's fine Um, did you know that the sample at the beginning of Lil Nas X's Old Town Road is a nine inch nails sample what (laughs) no if you listen to the song I believe the song is Ghost Return 34 I believe is the name of the song um it's uh, it's literally that, dun, 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 like it's the it's the pluck, yeah, L- oh, dude. Wow. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross invented Lil Nas X, <laughs> and now you, the wow. wise listener of the Now Screening podcast, know the secret behind success. <laughs> Sample Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> Um, okay. Back to talking about that first scene where we first hear hand covers bruise. Um, this is actually jumping over to a little cinematography, uh, from the movie. Do you guys notice that every scene in Boston at night has a Cepheid filter? I actually didn't. Yeah. I didn't notice (laughs) that either. I normally nine times out of 10 think a Cepheid filter looks Cepheid, Cepheid, Cepheid. I think they look, uh, look really bad. It's like someone trying too hard to make something look nostalgic. Yeah. The way (laughs) that it's used in this movie, it's like he's trying to make it look almost like being outside is like sickly. Like, like, Oh wow. That's a really good point. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. Film degree, baby film degree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's there's just this like yellow tinge, and it comes up later when Eduardo and Mark are outside of the Jew frat uh, drinking, and it comes up again. Um, any anytime there's a night scene in Boston, it has this weird like yellow orange haze over it, and it's I I don't know what it means, but I noticed it. I, yeah, I like that, and um, just real quick completely off topic we'll return to the soundtrack and stuff but the jewish fraternity scene one of my favorite lines in the movies in there too is when is when mark wants to leave and it's caribbean night at the jewish fraternity (laughs) and he says i need to get out of here i can't stand to look at that graphic of the niagara falls that has nothing to do with the caribbean (laughs) (laughs) That took me back to college, part. baby. You know how many parties I've yeah. been to where they're like, it's island theme. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. yeah. All right. So I just want to say I love that part too. Oh, but with the soundtrack. Like... Go ahead. Um, I feel like I've been talking too yeah. much. Sorry. No, it's okay. So 
I really liked Hand Covers Bruise. And then another one that I loved was In Motion, which is the really fast-paced um, song from the soundtrack. Do you, uh, I forget when it plays exactly. Um, do you want me to play it for a second or no? Um, but, let's not. Yeah, I don't know if that's allowed. Yeah, yeah, let's not do that just for the sake of copyright. Um, right. I can pull I was, it up on Spotify so I can hear it in my headphones and it won't play on the actual podcast. Okay. And yeah. I'll figure but, out. Um, anyway, that, that, that song uh, is kind of the opposite of Hand Covers Bruise and it creates kind of that fast paced tension that I like in the movie as well. Yeah. It's a great balance, right? It has mm-hmm. highs and lows. It has fast and slows. <laughs> oh no, I just rhymed. <laughs> that was nice. Ba- bars. <laughs> um while we're on the topic of uh of copyright sorry really quick uh i i think we should upload these to youtube uh as well anyway i agree uh, yeah okay okay cool all right we're on another platform baby we're on youtube yeah um sorry jl it sounded like you were gonna say something not really i mean i i heard the song and uh, i'm trying to think of when it was because it definitely wasn't the uh the face mash scene and it might have just been when, no, I I don't know. I don't I don't. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the phase. You know what? Scene, though. I'm not. It might have been when it when it was cutting from all the different students looking at face mash and picking the girls. It, that do you think it was the it. the coding scene before it where it was like cutting oh, to the Phoenix Club and yeah. then him? Which that might have been. I it. don't even know if we talked about that yet because that was a really cool, like kind that of parallel. Really but, you know, the party and then him coding right. Parallel action, Good. baby. <laughs> Exclusivity of the Phoenix Club juxtaposed with the uh, digital, <laughs> how easy it was to hack their sites. Yeah, that was, yeah uh, that's actually a really good point. That yeah, really, I really love that. That hit. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, yeah, Mark's, Mark's obsession with the Phoenix Club is really interesting to me. It's his downfall, man. It's his downfall. And it's introduced right at the beginning of the movie. You know that that's his focus. And he's attracted to that status symbol and the exclusivity of it. And that's the type of thing that drives him and motivates him. It's uh, it's the revenge factor of the movie, mm-hmm. right? This is a tale about someone who doesn't have something taking it out on someone who does effectively, right? Oh, yeah. And you know what? I have a thought about that with uh, Mark's motivation compared to Sean Parker, Justin Timberlake's motivation. So would it be cool if we talk about the club scene? Dude, absolutely. We can talk about anything, man. This is our podcast. (laughs) We're We're the wardens. First, one of you guys want to talk about the sound editing and then i i have something to say about the actual conversation itself but i feel like one of you could talk about the sound editing in that scene if you want because i think it's really cool um yeah okay i'll 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 handle this because i i relate to this very deeply um yeah you ever been at the club and you're just trying to have a conversation with someone (laughs) and they are screaming at you (laughs) And you have absolutely no idea what they yeah. just said. You look at them and you're like, you just said a whole sentence to me. You might have poured your heart out to me. 
and I have no idea what you said. So you look at him and you give him the nod. <laughs> oh, you know like, what's even worse? Yeah, for sure, dude. Sure. <laughs> it's like, dude, hell so yeah, yeah, bro, is my go-to. It's, <laughs> it's even it's even worse when you make the mistake of asking what did you say, and you make them repeat it again, and you still don't hear it the second time. <laughs> I have had countless interactions like that <laughs> if i ever hell yeah you bro at the club <laughs> r.i.p to your sentence bro right <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even hit my eardrums <laughs> um okay so anyway uh what this scene does really well sound editing wise is that in most club scenes like um the only other movie I can think of that does a club scene right is Uncut Gems. Most club scenes, they dim the, or they turn down the club music so you can actually hear what the people are saying. Mm -hmm. This movie does the total opposite. It puts like a filter over the high end of their uh, dialogue. So mm -hmm. we're only getting like the mids and bassy range of what they're saying. And like, that's what it sounds like to talk in the club. They're screaming at each other. They're having this important business meeting and like, honestly, you're getting every other word, maybe. I mean, it's a movie, so they, they kind of do have to make sure you get all of it if it's important. But, like, wow, perfect, brilliant. I think yep. my mistake and was watching with subtitles on. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, yep, I totally hear everything you're saying as I read it. <laughs> Where, where's the uh, life cheat code for subtitles IRL? Like, right. read those. It and I think the conversation itself was crazy. So Mark literally just wants to know who the girl that Sean, like who she is, that Sean's with. Sean goes into this <laughs> rant, which is like a couple minutes long. And it's funny because we're all from Ohio. And I thought it was interesting that the whole story that he tells is about the founding of Victoria's Secret and Les Wexner. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a funny little Columbus nugget there. An another um, billionaire to hate anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go fully into that. But yeah, I thought the same thing. And something interesting to take away from that conversation, I thought, is that Sean talks about how he started Napster because the girl that he was in love with in high school broke up with him. To, for the bar, captain of the varsity lacrosse team. And Mark asks him, uh, so did you ever end up uh, getting together with that girl, uh, getting back at the guy from the lacrosse team? And Sean goes, no, of course not. And I think, that, I think that says something about the fact that Sean lost sight of his original motivation. No matter how stupid it was, what got him into Napster, he didn't care about anymore. He didn't care about his original mission. And I think there was that was a purposeful conversation. Absolutely. Um, right. Bringing it back to the previous podcast episode. Um, yeah, that's that's reminiscent of Tiger King. JL, you look like you were about to say something. Sorry. Uh, not really. Um, I guess the one thing I would add is, yeah, like how in comparison with Mark, how, you know, how Mark at the end of the movie, he goes back to Erica's Facebook page. So I just thought that was an interesting point that Andy brought up. Oh yeah, yeah, that's actually really good. That that adds on to it. Yeah, because Mark, yeah, Mark revisits his original motivation um, in a more in a more positive light. You know, <laughs> instead of trying to bring instead of trying to bring Erica down, he 
adds her on Facebook, which is kind of ridiculous, but you know, it makes I, that connection. I like the um the Facebook founders using Facebook slash lack thereof using Facebook. <laughs> like the one thing I like about that breakup scene is she's like, Your Facebook status says single. And he's like, I don't even know how to change it. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> and like Mark, like using Facebook to like stalk his ex, right? Like yeah. the stars, they're just like us too, right? <laughs> um, okay, boys, we, we've been at this, uh, we've been at this social network uh, discussion for a while. Um, so I think uh, as, as riveting and, and fun as this has been, and I really think we got into some, some really good stuff here. You can tell we all really deeply care about this movie. I think we should, um, I think we should voice our um, our final opinions on it and move on to burning. How do we feel about that? I agree. Yeah. All right, JL, give me a final wrap up. Um, I think very relevant movie for the time right now, um, especially regarding billionaires and billionaire culture. Um, something you definitely need to watch. Like, I feel like this is one of those things on a streaming service because they have a entire catalogs of like highly acclaimed movies, and this is one of those things that you need to mm-hmm. have seen. Um, and if you're friends with us, I mean, we're gonna make references all the time. So <laughs> come on, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The running gag is. Uh... We're friends because we like the Facebook movie, right? So <laughs> we lo- we lovingly refer to it as the Facebook movie. Oh yeah, that's a meme in of itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I love the movie as well. I think it's aged really well, and I think it's really entertaining. It's an easy watch. It grabs you from the beginning, and the performances are great. The music is great and yeah if you're gonna be a friend of the now screening podcast i think this is i think this is one that you've got to give a watch so yeah it's it's great sounds like we uh we give it an essential rating um uh, yes for yeah. the for the canonical uh now screening extended universe yes <laughs> tier i uh i did give it a nine uh on letterboxd or a four and a half out of five um i i I had a couple gripes with it and that this is most that's mostly just me trying to be more scrutinous of film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh trying to to make my five more coveted, right? But um yeah, this movie yeah. is incredible. This movie is generation defining. Um when I think of the movies that I'm going to show my kids um to tell them what it was like living in the information age this movie is at the top of the list. Um, fantastic, yeah. fantastic, fantastic. Please watch this movie while you're stuck inside with your main social interaction being social networking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the first movie I ever saw was Rugrats Go to Paris. And I saw that <laughs> in theaters. And, but if... <laughs> but... If if I have if I have a child, their first movie is going to be The Social Network. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> so that no, reminds me. Though, I think one of my first ones was the original Pokemon movie, and that did not have to traumatize me like that. Oh, <laughs> oh that God. movie hits, yeah. bro! Right yeah. in the feels. All right, so that's a wrap on 
one of the uh, best movies available on Netflix right now. But another one, a hidden gem, mm. a movie that you might not ever have heard of. You're you've certainly probably not checked out unless you're a, you're a real you know high high class film buff, right? Because um, this movie this movie kind of went under radars in America for sure. Um, Burning, a movie from 2018 out of South Korea, directed by Lee Chang Dong. Uh, and starring Yu Ah In, Jong 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 Su. I'm so sorry, uh, and Steven Yun. Guys, next time we introduce a movie, don't make me do the foreign pronunciations. <laughs> don't, but, don't look at me. No, no, none so, of us. We're just not going to do it. Yeah. Because after I beat <laughs> Portrait of a Lady on Fire, man. <laughs> that's, hey, that's, no one. No one roasted my French, so hopefully no one roasts my uh, Korean. That's gonna be that's gonna be the new running thing. We just make Tyler pronounce all the. Really <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Please, please don't! Please do not! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'll I'll do it. That's funny. I like that bit. Anyway, um, okay. So the the key thing, or like the the thing that enticed me about this movie, uh, Stephen Yun from The Walking Dead uh, stars in this yeah. as a very different character than he plays in the walking dead. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, the basic plot of this movie is that it follows a poor farmer in rural, uh, South Korea who reconnects with an old classmate of his, um, romantically. And then a third character is introduced into the mix and we enter into this bizarre, love triangle involving spiritualism, um, burning greenhouses, uh, and deception, lies, uh, and just, it's a thriller, it's a romance, it's almost a murder mystery in some ways. It's a lot of things, but it's not any, it's not clear what it is at any given point. Okay. Yeah. So before we really rip this thing open, because man, there's a lot to unpack Mm -hmm. with this movie. Let's talk about what we thought of it. Spoiler free. JL, why don't you start? Um, I think the general thing I want to say about it is I would not recommend this to a general audience at all. (laughs) It's gonna, it's, it's slow. Um, but there's just a lot that it, it says and you know if you're not really paying attention you're not really going to appreciate what it presents so but if you do you know want to take a try at kind of a slower paced movie um definitely give it a watch uh it's on netflix it's going to be two hours of your time so so yeah i completely agree with everything you said it's it's a it would definitely be a difficult watch for some. It's a very long movie in general, and the pacing is slow. But, you know, if you're willing to give a movie like that a shot, I think you might end up loving it. And it's hard to talk about this movie um, without giving anything away. I think I'll just say that there's a, there's a lot of different elements to this movie, and it keeps you guessing from the start. It keeps you guessing on what's going on in the movie, and it keeps you guessing your own sanity as well (laughs) and one of my favorite things about it is that it really toes the line between reality and fantasy or being a dream 
And it's really unique. I think the uniqueness of the movie is what made me love it so much. I agree with both of you that this is a pretty inaccessible movie on the surface. However, I think everyone who saw and liked Parasite from 2019 should watch this movie Mm -hmm. as soon as they can. This movie to me, to put it simply in like a, like an annoying reviewer would is parasite meets great Gatsby. Okay. Which already parasite was heavy with the great Gatsby themology. I think, um, this movie is very long. It's two and a half hours, but I think that actually makes it perfect for quarantine. I think while you're sitting on your butt, not talking to other people, (laughs) Make yourself, you know what? Honestly, I'm going to recommend this. I know a lot of people like to watch movies at night. I like to watch movies in the morning. I like to wake up, make myself a cup of coffee, sit on the couch, drink my coffee over like two hours and just watch a movie. And this movie, honestly, perfect for that. Because you're going to be thinking about this thing all day if you do that. Yes. (laughs) So, okay. Going off on a little bit of a tangent, we all... I completely agree. It sounds like we all agree. Watch this one if you want a very unique experience. Yeah? Is that summing it up in in so few words? Okay, folks. From this point forward, we will be spoiling, burning. Stop what you're doing. Get on your couch and watch burning as soon as you can. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Where to start? I'm going to start by so, saying, oh, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So real quick, uh, just to give some context of the movie, it's based on a story by an author named Haruki Murakami. And I can't really say a lot because I haven't read any Murakami books. I do have one of his books, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, and I'm really meaning to read it. But what I know about his books is that he is known for having mastered the art of writing books that toe that line between reality and fantasy. And I didn't even know that this movie was based on his books until I finished it and I like read it online. And when I read that, it all clicked. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense from what I've read about him. So, JL, have you read any Murakami? Uh, no, but I feel like there's some on the shelf back here. There's definitely a few of them on the shelf that... I have not picked up. I'm still like, oh my god, my computer. Give me a second. Um, I accidentally activated my screensaver, but um, what was I even talking about? Murakami <laughs> no, books. reading okay. books. I, you ever oh, heard yeah, of books? I was, uh, yeah, I have Dune over there. Um, oh god, you got to read I'm that on, before I'm December, maybe. One. I've been on chapter one for about uh, six months now. So. Oh, same. <laughs> oh, guys. Oh, I really, I messed up. I was going to start the podcast by asking what we thought of the Dune pictures. Well, Damn we can it. mention oh. that really quick now, but God dang, off. Oscar That's Isaac. The Dune <laughs> pictures are sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, check those out. Denis Villeneuve is going to crush that shit. Anyway, yes. okay. Um. Wow. All right, back to burning. Uh, sorry about that. Uh <laughs> Ah, I just, I froze in the moment. I froze in the moment, guys. I'm I'm so sorry. Okay. So like you said, you found out after 
that this was based mm-hmm. on a Murakami book. I think not knowing a lot of things about this movie makes it way better. Oh, yeah. The less you know about the plot going into this movie, the better. The better of an experience you're going to have. It's going to shock you every three or four minutes, honestly, after the midway point. And so um, talking about the the plot and the pacing of this movie um, is a little difficult without running through um, every plot point of everything that happens. And it's a long movie, so there's a lot mm. that happens, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, should we do that real quick and try? I think it'll help us map out how perfectly paced this movie is if we just go through the major events that happen. Yeah. Okay. Let's Okay, let's start off with so it starts off just introducing uh Jong-su, the main character of the movie, and it shows you his daily life and routine. And that goes on for quite some time. I'm just going to spitball and say that's like 30 minutes right there, right at the beginning of the movie. You just see him going about his life. And there is one major plot point where he runs into a girl that he used to go to school with and she used to live in his village. But for the most part, the beginning of the movie is going at that very leisurely pace and it's just showing you his life. And you're going to question, what is this movie about? What is going on? Leisurely is perfect, Andy. Leisurely is the perfect way to describe it. Right. So what what did you, when you guys first watched it, because I know you watched it before me, what were your thoughts during the beginning, during that kind of slow paced introduction? JL. Uh, I guess me being Asian, it's like, this is like, uh, (laughs) I I don't know. I just think that uh, it was cool to see how, like realistic that was just being on the street and like, you know, I've been to Japan, I've been to the Philippines, I haven't been to Korea, but it was very similar, like having those kind of people on the street and like bringing you into those kind of uh, department stores like that with like very flashy colors and like, I mean, not girls, but I guess in Japan they do that for like maid cafes or whatever. But like, um, that's immediately what I thought of and like how my experience um, in Japan, like maybe I was trying to like frame it that way. Um, I think the biggest thing for me in the beginning is I just did not like Jaime. <laughs> I just like <laughs> really. I know. I mean, like really. I, I like her. I like her overall uh, like character arc throughout the whole thing, and you know how she fits into the story. But like just her as a person, um, I'm just personally just very like down to earth, you know, <laughs> like kind of chill. And then like these very like airy people, I'm just like it's like woman, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> hey. Sorry. But... No, you know what? That's a, that's a really interesting point. Because yeah, she's, like, I... she's like talking about like all this like oh my, like what, the whole I disagree. I want to I want to be an actress and like go out on all this stuff. I'm like, bro, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I, have, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But you can go first, Tyler. Um, I feel like she was almost like a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, that's that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I'm trying to describe. It's just that kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. It's that. the Pretty trope. I'm not, I'm not- it's an American it's a total western trope, right? And some movies do it really well, like 500 Days of Summer and uh um Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Some movies 
do a really bad job at it that I can't think of right now because I don't want to think about bad movies. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think um, her, you call it airiness, and I would agree it's almost an aloofness. It's almost a bohemian, it's very is, Western. Is ditzy too insulting to say? No, I mean. I, I feel like she kind of is, and I don't mean that in a bad way. She's, I just mean she. She's uneducated, yeah. aspirational, and not realistic, right? Yeah. And so those aspects of her are eventually exploited, which we can we can get into later, because that's that's its own can of worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> at, at first, I thought it was gonna do a manic pixie dream girl thing, and I was on board because I liked her as a character foil to Jong Su, who's very reserved because he has to be right. His Mm -hmm. lifestyle is destitute farmer whose dad is dead. Like, you know, and I actually really like her in jail. My bad. He's not dead. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I really liked their relationship dynamic. Actually. I think, I think it works perfectly because of that foil that you were talking about. Um, and I think that's what attracts, uh, Jong Su to Haimi. I think at first he's a little hesitant, you know, she's a little much, but then I think that enthusiasm that she has for life and kind of that free spirited nature is what actually attracts yeah. him to her. And, and I think that's and, what drives the rest of, uh, you know, his journey the throughout movie. the movie as well. Right. So I guess we could talk about maybe the next portion of the movie is the development of jong Su and Haimi's relationship and her going off to Africa and coming back. So does anyone want to talk about that? Part? I mean, I think uh, you, you said it in as few words as it needs to be said. It's <laughs> true. He goes to her apartment, meets her cat that doesn't actually exist or is told that there's a cat in the apartment. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. might think we're being too detailed. This comes back later. Um, so he knows that she has a cat. They hook up in her apartment there's this amazing scene with um, light filtering through the window. Um, we're never going to talk about everything in this movie, right? But that no. element was really cool. Um, Jong Su pretty much catches feels for Haimi. Yeah. Uh, and then Haimi goes off to Africa. <sighs> While she's in Africa, she meets this guy named Ben. ben who's introduced on a phone call when Haimi calls back to Jong Su and says, Hey, I'm coming back from Nairobi. Um, we've been stuck here because of a terrorist attack. I'm coming back with this guy, Ben. He's been, he's been a great friend here. Uh, he's coming back to Korea too. We can't, I can't wait to all hang out. So Andy and I talked about this a little bit, but, um, when you're with someone and they're, you're more than friends with them, and they introduce you to somebody mm-hmm. you're of the same gender as you, right? Or, or any situation, I suppose. But Like when um, you're in that talking phase and you're right. not really like in a relationship yet and they introduce you to someone else and you can tell that they have a little bit of a connection too, it, it, it's hard not to have an emotional response. And, and they're also hotter than you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So this Ben guy is Steven Yoon. And then where the plot goes from there is that basically 
we have a, a love triangle moving forward where Jongsu, Haemi, and Ben hang out for the majority of the middle dynamic. for the yeah. majority of the middle part of the movie mm-hmm. Hey me and Jong Su are not romantic again but it's never revealed if Ben and Hey me are romantic at all yeah and um just one quick point about that part we talked about before where they they just start developing their relationship that's the first part of the movie where you start questioning a lot of things like the thing with the cat, that was when I first started questioning a lot about what's going on. I, it's the first bizarre thing that happens. Like, why do we never see this cat, even though he comes over and feeds it, and it clearly uses the litter box? Like, that's when yeah. th- you start questioning things. And as far as Ben goes, I I think Steven Yeun gives one of the best performances I have ever seen in my life. And... His dynamic with uh, Jong Su and Hei Mi is uh, incredible. Um, he he's the opposite of Jong Su in a lot of ways, and I think that's important. He's oh, rich. Yeah. He which, and I think we know. I think it's basically told later in the movie that he has his money. I think from family, but we don't know. It's inherited. We don't know for sure. It's inherited, and he's also just this. You could say this is toxic masculinity if you want to get into that. He's this charming guy that seems to have an answer to everything. He's rich. You don't exactly know where his money comes from at first. And Jong Su is the exact opposite. He's struggling. Uh, yeah. I think that's more speaking on privilege than I think the toxic masculinity comes in with both of their relationships. Yeah, that's with more privilege. Yeah. yeah. Um. But do you have any more? I forget where I was gonna even to say. After no, that. I. It is. It is privilege, and it's the. It's the. <laughs> it's the flexing of privilege. Yeah, he flexes <laughs> he, it a lot. He drives this sick sports car. He lives in this bougie His apartment. apartment. Um, <laughs> it's like I drive my. He Porsche. goes to all I the eat pasta places. in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the pasta thing. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um. Yeah, he's he's um he's opulent and he's not afraid to show it off and it rubs Hey Me the complete opposite way that it rubs Jong Su. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um what I want to what I want to kind of unpack here is that even though romantically speaking, Hey Me is at the center, the the center of this love triangle, Ben is the central conflict of the love oh, triangle? Yeah, yeah. A- actually, um, and that's that's toxic masculinity again. Um, okay, let's um, let's wrap the uh, let's wrap the plot up. Basically, um, Hemi goes missing. Um, mm-hmm. We can discuss the individual scenes leading up to that later, but I, I really want to summarize the plot. So that we can talk right. about um, how everything works into unraveling, um, or I guess, yeah, raveling and then unraveling what's happening. Um, Hemi goes missing. Um, ben claims he has no idea where she is. Jong Su has no idea where she is because we're we're watching the movie effectively. We're following Jong Su. He's the protagonist. We're following him. Um, 
Ben reveals to Jong Su that every couple weeks he goes out into the country and burns down a greenhouse, hence the name mm -hmm. burning. Mm -hmm. um, or so yes. we think. Um, Haimi's missing. Jong Su is frantically trying to figure out where Haimi is, what burnt, what, uh, what burn house, what greenhouse uh, Ben is about to burn down. And it effectively culminates with Jong Su hypothesizing that Ben has done something with Haimi. Or mm -hmm. we can get into that a little bit. But basically, Jong Su comes to the conclusion that Ben is behind the disappearance of Haimi. And then he kills Ben. And then the movie ends. Right. So I know that was like a turbo mode sprint through what actually happened. <laughs> That's what you got to do, though, because there's so much to unpack. There right. It's the in-betweens that I think is really the interesting parts, even more interesting yeah. than just the disappearance and everything. So yeah, 100%. So, but if we don't have the context of her being gone, we, we can't explain why right. scenes are, are good. Right? right. So, so, so we started talking about, you know, the three of them start hanging out and they do some stuff together. Ben takes them to some bougie coffee shop place. He flexes all the cool places that he goes to. <laughs> And they, they go to parties in the city and he kind of shows Hei-Mi and, and Jong-Soo his friend group, which is a really messed up scene where they kind of humiliate Hei-Mi. But anyway, there's another scene, which is the complete opposite, where they where Hei-Mi and Ben go to Jong-Soo's house out in the middle of farmland in rural South Korea. And they're all just hanging out on the porch uh, drinking and they end up smoking and it's, you know, smoking weed. And Tyler, do you want to talk about how it's kind of the exact opposite of what they were doing before when they were hanging out with Ben in the city? Sure. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting set of scenes we have there where Jong Su drives his shitty busted delivery truck <laughs> Um, I love that. <laughs> into the opulent neighborhood that Ben occupies in South Korea versus the juxtaposition then the flip of that is Ben pulling up to a farm in a Porsche. Like yeah. that imagery is just ridiculous. Um, the interesting thing to unpack is is how they, they entertain, basically. Um, ben has this amazing meal set up, like JL alluded to earlier. Jong-Soo has no plan. They're just going to drink on the porch and smoke some weed. Mm -hmm. But what happens at Jong-Soo's, as opposed to what happens at Ben's, <laughs> is that Hei-Mi has this incredible moment of true... I would almost say it's like nirvana like for enlightenment her. or something at Ben. So, so in Africa, she learned this dance of the, the, the big hunger, I believe it's called, right? The great hunger, the great hunger. And so she's often talking about how the, the little hunger is like momentary, like you're actually hungry, right? It's like, I want a cheeseburger. That's the little hunger. Yeah. Whereas the big hunger is like life fulfillment, right? And she's like, mm -hmm. she's been so awakened to this big hunger. And when she's at Ben's apartment the first time and hanging out with his homies, 
she's almost bullied or not. She doesn't know it's bullying because she thinks it's pressured into it. She just, she just goes along with it. She doesn't know that they're making fun Mm -hmm. of her and it's really sad. Anyway, she does, she does the dance in front of, um, the crowd of people and, you know, they clap and they laugh and they have fun with it. But when she's at Jong Su's and she's high and a little drunk, she has this moment at sunset. And this scene is one of the greatest scenes of all time. Mm-hmm. The colors of the sunset are amazing. And we get Hamy silhouetted against this blue, purple, pink, amazing sunset in the mountains of Korea. And she does the dance of great hunger to this amazing song. And you yeah, can and tell, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say she's so moved or she's in such a mindset that she strips all the way down mm-hmm. and she's naked. And it's just this surreal, beautiful scene. And yeah, if you want to keep going. Yep. Um, I just think it, it says a lot about the, the difference between true happiness and bot happiness um, on like a comparing the scenes level mm-hmm. um, as a plot point. <laughs> it's the last time we see. Hey, me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know we didn't really want to get into the specifics of everything, but that conversation they have on the porch is so important. Holy shit. In so many different ways. Go off. So, so what, one thing, the first thing I'm going to mention is that, um, uh, Hey, has that really enlightening moment where she's dancing in the sun. But there's also an, another part where they're sitting on the porch and she's actually very vocal about how she feels. I think it's just one sentence. And she says something like, you know, this might have been the best day I've ever had or something mm-hmm. like that to that to that effect, she says. And and Ben doesn't say anything, which I think might say a lot. Ben, who has an answer she, for everything. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, like Ben just paraded her around the city with his flashy car and his cool friends and the nice places he hangs out at. And meanwhile, Hemi just had this en- enlightening experience at Jong Su's farm. 30, 30 and, feet from cow shit. Yeah. And so Hemi eventually falls asleep, I think, because she's drunk and passes out and high and then then ben and jong su start talking and uh, jl do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah well i just want to say the, the big thing i want to say about ben is he must be a big megan trainer fan because he's all about that base um <laughs> <laughs> come on man <laughs> Oh my god! I was going to say that all day, dude. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Um, yeah. They, they basically like that's that's when the whole greenhouse um, conversation comes in, and then Ben says, or what does uh what does Jung Soo say? Something about like I hate my father and things like I uh, mm-hmm. something about like wanting more out of his life or something like that. And then Ben just says like, no, I like to come out the countryside and burn abandoned greenhouses and then kind of goes off and you can like once he says that and starts explaining like you know once every two months or so i just find a abandoned greenhouse you know no one's gonna miss it i just burn it down it's fine it's cool and then that's when like everything before like 
okay, I'm, the bad vibe we got from this guy in the beginning, I'm starting to put it together. And like, you're starting to think, I think he's going to do something to hey me. <laughs> that's the that's the part where um you think he's like a killer yeah. or something like that. The funny thing is for me, um, I wasn't really reading into it that much at that point. Really? I feel kind of dumb. I feel kind of dumb because I only really thought about it at the end. But I think that's how the movie is designed. When he says it at that point, I thought, wow, this guy seems like a real psychopath. He's out here burning greenhouses. <laughs> Andy, I, I 100% thought exactly the same thing. And I think that's this movie withholds information so perfectly. You're led to believe, oh, he's he's burning greenhouses. What a weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I think right? it can be read like so many ways because upon watching it the second time, I watched it again today and like trying to frame it as if, OK, what if this is just all circumstantial and really coincidental? And I'm like that never gives it, it away that he actually did anything to these women. Like, you have no all. idea. It never does. There's no evidence. It's highly hinted at, highly hinted at, but you never know for sure. I think me and Tyler joked that. He is the Carol Baskin of the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Carol Ben Baskin. <laughs> because there's a lot, there's a lot of things pointing to him being a killer, but we really don't know at the end of the day. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, explaining JL's uh, Megan Trainer joke, he says that the uh, the burning of greenhouses gives him a, a thumping in his chest. Yeah. Which, like, I think, I don't, I mean, that basically is implying to me that this is the only thing that really gets him going, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, on first watch, oh, dude, that's weird. You get a sick, twisted thrill out of being a pyromaniac. Yeah. On second watch, thinking that he killed Hey Me, I'm like, oh, you sick, you sick freak. <laughs> God damn it. He, he gives me, he gave me such Christian Bale american psycho vibes in this yeah. movie dude yes and the, the funny thing is the difference between him and christian bale in that movie is what christian bale does in american psycho is he explicitly talks about him killing women in that movie he's like oh yeah i chopped her head off or whatever and then he plays it off as a joke but in burning he's using this who knows maybe it's a metaphor maybe it's, it's yeah. not we yeah. don't really know but um yeah, this is one of the biggest examples of this movie keeping you guessing for sure. And I actually now that you said metaphor, the um I think it definitely introduces that kind of like where you start questioning what these people are saying when they're in the apartment, um, you know, doing like the pasta or whatever, and then Hamy asks, What is a metaphor? And then like Ben literally just smirks and goes, <laughs> It's like you should just ask uh Jung Su and then <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Like you start and thinking about was, everything that every character is saying, yes. how it can be taken differently. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was so a funny comparison between this and Parasite is that they both explicitly mention metaphors. This is so is metaphorical. Funny. Both movies literally talk about metaphors as there are potential metaphors in the movie, which is funny, I think. Uh, yeah. What should we talk about next, boys? You know, I, th I, th I think what might be worth talking about is every single thing, not maybe not every single thing, but the major things that we questioned in this movie. Yeah. And made us, it made us think like, is this what happened or is that what happened? So 
I think one of the ones that we haven't talked about yet is Hey Me and her backstory with Jong Su. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so there's a lot of really odd things about this, about their relationship. So when Jong Su first meets Hey Me, she is the one who first recognizes him, first of all. He doesn't seem at all aware or having any memory of them really knowing each other very well growing up. And then there's other things that are just so specific that he doesn't remember about their relationship. There's a very notable thing where Haney talks about how she fell into a well when she was young. And she was there for hours and nobody came to save her. And then Jong-Soo came and he was the one that helped her out. Yet Jong-Soo doesn't remember that at all. You would think that would be like a hugely formative thing that you would remember. Jong-Soo has no memory of it. Absolutely none. And it leads you and, to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, the well itself. You don't know if the well exists. You get contradicting information on that. Yeah. It's crazy. He, he, Jong-Soo talks to Hae-Mi's family at one point, who she's not in contact with anymore and they say oh we never had a well next to our house in the village and then jong su talks to his mother and she says the exact opposite and says that they did that scene it's, it's just wild that scene where he talks to his mom is mm-hmm. so uh, it's so confusing like it's it's one of the it's one of the most um it makes him an unreliable narrator honestly mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that does but when he runs into his mom on the bus like if we're going to talk about things that made us question everything, that's, that's high on the list. Like that whole scene was, yeah, really, really, um, betrayed my trust in Jong Su. Yeah. And yeah, the conversation with his mom was just bizarre as well. And really sad because she clearly didn't care about Jong Su that much. She was looking at her phone the whole time. That was a very weird scene. Um, but were there were there any other major things that you questioned a lot during the movie? Um, other than the cat, I don't really know. Um, I think just Ben in general, dude. Yeah. I, the, the, his whole persona and what is this guy about? I was wondering that the whole time and I don't think I ever really, fi- I don't think we ever really figure it out. <laughs> He's so <laughs> menacing. It's like the man yeah. with the box of lipstick in his uh, very like organized box of lipstick and like makeup in his bathroom. <laughs> like, what the? Oh fuck? yeah. <laughs> I think first watching it, I'm like, what is up with this dude? <laughs> yeah. So we see all these women's apparel, like uh, accessories cosmetics. and stuff, yeah. cosmetics in his bathroom. We don't know where they came from, and one of them after Haney's disappearance. One of the things that Jong Su finds is her watch in his bathroom. And so these are all just majorly hinting at something else going on. And one of the biggest hints was that Ben has a cat out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the wildest things I think about the movie is that Jong Su, does anyone want to talk about that part? I guess, yeah. When uh, they like, yeah. the, uh, he has a cat. Um, after Jung Su like heavily at this point suspects that he's done something. And then, yeah, this is after he finds the watch, the cat runs out after, I guess the new lighthouse or not lighthouse, greenhouse girl, 
um, mm-hmm. comes in, and then they're searching the parking garage. He finds the cat in the corner, and it's like saying, like, here, kitty, here, kitty. And then he calls it by the name, here, Boyle, and the cat runs. And this is kind of where I, the second watching, I'm like... I mean, it might what, be if it just came, what if it just came over? Yeah, right? <laughs> like you don't, you don't know. Um, it's so funny because he's never actually seen the cat. Yeah, so yeah. you don't know. You you can't confirm that and just hey, because the cat heard heard the name. But yeah, Hamie's landlady is like, "There's no cat in there. What the hell are you right. talking about?" It's like cats are not allowed in this building. Like, that part oh. was when I thought I was about to get like fight clubbed, and I thought this <laughs> was about to be some weird psychological thriller which in a way it was i was, <laughs> I was like is is, the, is hey me real hey, i was trying to question hey me and ben are both fake ben is jong su no <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go into like dissociation or anything it all it all is very um grounded despite its um ambiguity right it's yeah. like uh that's go one ahead, of Jill. the coolest things about it is uh i mean what you said how grounded but ambiguous so it's a it's a mystery in like every sense of the word. You you literally have no idea um, what's gonna happen next. And uh, I I noted this down um, when we were planning planning out our discussion. There's this there's this rule in um, thriller movies called or it's it's not really strictly adhered to I guess, but generally speaking, every fifteen minutes of a thriller you have to introduce something that raises the tension, right? People's attention spans are short. As much as we'd like to admit we're paying attention for all two hours of a movie, we're probably not. Um, So every 15 minutes, you have to ratchet the tension in some way. I would argue this movie completely eschews that. And instead, every like two or three minutes, like every scene is more intense than the last one. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is like we're talking about the data that we're given starts to contradict itself, right? It builds up this web of uncertainty. And as more and more things start to stack against Ben doing something to Hamey, things are also just coincidental, like you were saying. Yeah. So. Right. And all of that culminates with... I don't know if we want to get to this yet, but Jong Su's final encounter with Ben and Jong Su invites Ben to a meeting and he says, me and Hey, me want to see you. And Ben, boy, <laughs> Ben, 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 Ben obliges and comes out to meet him, which is wild. When you think about it, if he did kill, if he did kill, Hey, me, it's interesting, or if he did anything to her, it's interesting that he would come meet Jong Su, knowing that Jong Su lied about being with Hei yeah. Mi. But I think that makes a lot of sense considering what we know about Ben. Because Ben said that in the greenhouse discussion, I'm never going to get caught. He's so confident in his abilities that I think he's actually very entertained by Jong Su catching on. Mm-hmm. I think he loves it. I think this is like a new a new part of the game that he hasn't encountered before and he just wants to see how it plays out. And then of course the final scene between the two of them is just something else. And I don't know. <laughs> I 
yeah. I think speaking of that final scene and that, I mean, that's such a good point that you brought up that, you know, there's this new excitement in the, uh, in the killing or the supposed killing now, because when he is stabbed and they're leaning against the car, he kind of just embraces Jung Soo, which to mm-hmm. me was like very, very weird. Very like if, if that was the, like if that's the case, then that's like, <laughs> yeah, it kind of, it also like, yeah, intimate kind of mirrored that sex scene earlier with the, I guess just that embrace and that closeness. Exactly. Like, weird. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same position. It's mm-hmm. so weird. And then, I mean, I think it's 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 got to be significant that Jong Su gets rid of him by burning him. Like yeah. that has to sets be. the I mean, that, sets like, the Porsche on fire. <laughs> Roll <Yeah>. credits. Burning. <laughs> <laughs> what are we? Some kind of burning? burning? <laughs> so, so we really are never going to know um, what really happened with Ben and Hamey. How do you guys feel about that? I love it. I, I actually really like that a lot. I think it goes consistently with how the movie was playing out beforehand, that you're questioning everything. And I think that it's good that it ended in that similar fashion. And I, yeah, I, I loved it because it's unique and it, it really made me think think about it more afterwards i couldn't stop thinking about the movie i don't know about you guys that's kind of what i like about these more i guess challenging movies is that you'd never get all the answers and um that's why it has a lot of rewatchability um again it's really unique and it just keeps you thinking about it pretty much all day (laughs) like there's always that what if what if i watched this movie two times in a week the first time I saw it because I just, I had to see it again. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad. And I, I know this about you guys because you're my friends, but I, <laughs> I think it's worth noting that we're all the type of people who are okay with a film, not having answers. We're very okay with ambiguous, um, even metaphorical and unclear endings. So, if you're listening, take that into account. Um, yeah. You know, as much as this is just us dissecting movies, we're also trying to recommend things here too. So if you're a person who likes really concrete movies, this is not the movie for you. Um, yeah. But um, right. I I think uh, I think we've had a pretty good discussion on this. The one thing I want to talk touch on. Before um, we go into question time really quick um, is how Steven Yun does such a good job portraying Ben as an egomaniacal psychopath with a type and he loves to prey on stupid people or people he views as stupid. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's made very clear that he has a type especially after Haimi's disappearance. It's so chilling when Jong Su kind of starts stalking Ben and he goes to that restaurant or coffee shop or whatnot that they the same visited one. earlier in the film. The same one. And he meets Ben and then this girl walks in who, I'm not going to lie, for half a second I thought she was Haimi. She looks so much like yes. Haimi. Yes! And she talks exactly like her. The mannerisms are exactly the same. 
there's literally almost an identical scene where he introduces her to his friends and she tells a story just like Amy told her her yeah. big her big hunger story. It's 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 right down exactly the same. And um, can I talk about one part of that scene? I actually loved a lot. Yeah. Just real quick. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Dude. so Andy, it's when, our podcast. We can talk yeah. about whatever we want. <laughs> so when they're, when they're leaving that restaurant, you get one very weirdly vulnerable moment from Ben. And I, it's, it's authentic, but not at the same time. So he's about to get in the car. And this is when Jong Su was asking about where Hey Me was. And Ben goes, well, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't heard from her. That's weird. And then as Ben is walking to the car, he goes, you know what, Jong Su? Hey Me always had a really special connection with you. He goes, she always really, you know, basically cared about you and loved you. Or he doesn't say love, but he goes, that, that made me feel jealous. And he goes, you know, I've never felt that before in my whole life. And it's just so chilling because it's just like the scene earlier in the movie where he says that he's never cried. And that's oh, just, yeah. that another oh my it's God. just, it's just such typical psychopath, no empathy behavior. And it's, I don't know. Steven Yeun should have won a million awards for this. I don't care. It was one of the best performances I've ever seen. I love you. You're talking about um, the scene with the other girl, the second mm -hmm. Hey Me, and they're at Ben's apartment. And at this point, we are with Jong Su. We're piecing together things. We're like, holy shit, this web points at Ben being the killer. He's a psychopath. And Ben is looking across the party, not paying attention to anyone except for Jong Su. He's just looking. And you know, we talked a lot about facial acting and it's going to seem like we're going on and on about it, but holy shit, the look that he gives Jong Su in that scene chills down my spine. It is like a, mm -hmm. it is a confident, I have you figured out. It's like, it's right. like a tiger stalking its prey look. Mm -hmm. It's like, come get me. You know what I mean? Like, right. oh my God, daring. What it's, about... Yeah, there's this confidence to him that's terrifying. And what what about when they're having that greenhouse conversation on the porch and he and and he talks about how he's already chosen the greenhouse. And he goes It's it's very close. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he goes and he goes, you know, it's it's closer than you could even imagine, basically is what he says. And then when Jong Su meets up with him again, Jong Su says, I checked every single greenhouse where I live. And then just in this terrifyingly smug way, Ben just goes, well, you know, you, you must have missed it. You know, it happens. Maybe it was too close. Dude, oh, my God. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's the it's part incredible. of the toxic masculinity that, um, that really shows is that Ben is, uh, he's constantly messing with Jong Su and mm -hmm. Jong Su is just trying to stay one step ahead. And it, it just culminates in that, in that stabbing, uh, like we talked about. Um, yeah, it, 
Yeah. He, he preys on kind of those women that he believes are stupid. And it's, it's it, another disturbing line he has is when he's talking about the greenhouses. And he says something like, you know, there are a lot of ugly, useless greenhouses in South Korea. And that's one time where I think if it was a metaphor, it kind of shows his disdain for these women. And I think he's entertained by Jong Su because Jong Su shows some intuition and he actually thinks that's kind of fun to play with, which is terrifying. Sickening. I, I really love to see like uh I guess a more Korean perspective, because we have you know Western perspective. I wonder right. if that's what it is really like where you have because they said they have many Gatsby's in in Korea or in South Korea oh, and good. You know, what if they have like other greenhouses there? Like those just kind of girls that are aimless and don't really have a direction. Mm -hmm. Like if someone like that goes missing, yeah. I don't know if the the police would even really care about that. Um, no. Yeah. So. And she has no connection with her family anymore, so her family's not going to look for her, and nobody will. It's terrifying. Yeah, I think he's very strategic in who he chooses, if that's what he does. Yeah, it's extremely deliberate, and that's what makes it so uh, just bone chilling. The way he talks about it, yeah. Right now, we're not we're not working on video content yet, but uh, you would have seen JL just just give the camera a little wiggle. Um, all right, folks, um, boys, how how we feeling about our talk on this? Have we hit everything we want to uh? We want to touch on? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I uh I think the cinematography in this movie is amazing. I think the editing's amazing. But what really shines is what we talked about the most, which I think was um screenplay, acting, and just the pacing, the plot, which is which is back to the screenplay. Um all right. Uh Final thoughts, closing thoughts, JL. Actually, I do actually have one last thing. When I look oh, go at ahead. the uh, the Ben versus Jong Su masculinity thing, yeah, go ahead. Like, yeah, and I, I mentioned this earlier about their relationship with Hey Me, and how despite like the privilege and you know the wealth difference, that still that factor of like ownership of women still comes in. Where like you know Ben mm -hmm. treats them like dolls. Like he literally takes the second Hey Me and like does her makeup and like like paints her like a doll. And then that scene where Jung Soo is like feeling like, you know, we had sex that one time. You're supposed to be like with me, right? And he says, "Why do you take your shirt off in front of other men? You look like a whore." Oh and, yeah, yeah, fucked up. Wild. Yep. So that's I think that's the one thing I didn't uh, get to mention yet. So, um, but final thoughts. Um, honestly, challenge yourself when you're <laughs> when you're in quarantine. If you're listening to this and you uh, want to give this a try, definitely worth it. Definitely kind of. Uh, mind fuck so um yeah <laughs> yeah i i agree i i it's might not be for you it's not the most successful movie it's long uh it's got that slow pace but i love it and i think the plot is amazing i think the fact that it made me question everything <laughs> is something i loved about it my mind was racing the whole movie and it, you could honestly watch this movie solely for Steven Yeun's performance. It's yeah. that good. <laughs> so I, I love it. Highly recommend. 
And yeah, like JL said, challenge yourself to watch it. Yeah, big step up from uh, The Walking Dead, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I am just going to echo the words of my dear friends here and say that you need to challenge yourself. Um, and this is a wonderful movie to challenge yourself with. Uh, I think the last couple of years in film have provided a lot of opportunities to expand your palette. Um, and this is no exception. If you, I said it already, but if you liked Parasite, I think you're going to like this. Um, it, it might bore you. Um, but if, if you can wait out the first hour, I guess, um, it really turns into something extremely special and spectacular that I think is unlike any movie I've ever seen. Um, the dynamic in this movie is absolutely incredible. The characters are all super well-developed, even though you only really follow one of them. Uh, I think this movie says so much about masculinity femininity, the role of women in Eastern society, and then also a mirror to Western society. I felt things during this movie that I didn't know I could feel during movies. Yeah. Um, paranoia, uh, joy. Uh, it's the whole range of emotions. Um, this is one of my favorite movies of the decade. Might be my favorite movie of the decade. Haven't done my list. Might do my list. I don't know where this would land, um, but I adore, it's up there. I adore this movie. I adore it. I love it. It's wonderful. Please uh, consider watching it. Um, and, uh, and don't, don't be mad at us. If you think it's, if you think it's boring. <laughs> um, okay. All right. That's a wrap on the, uh, the burning discussion i think we did i think we did a good job tackling a very difficult film with that mm -hmm. um so before we end off here of course it's uh it's everyone's favorite section it's uh it's question time question time with the boys oh my now uh, i switched on my airpods just in time okay we're good <laughs> you're back <laughs> all right yeah i saw died, you yeah listen i saw you fussing over there and i was like i gotta i gotta riff i gotta riff wow, <laughs> wow i didn't i that's so, I didn't even notice. That's so <laughs> pot astuteness, baby. Pot astuteness. Um, okay. So I came up with two questions for this week. Uh, one of them is a little bit less uh, stimulating than the other. Uh, let's start with the boring one. We talked about the social network being Oscar nominated, Oscar winning. Um, what are some times that we can think of where the Oscars got it right, so to say? I personally don't have a ton of stock in what the Oscars say. I think they're very corporate, and I don't think that's a hot opinion at all. But I think sometimes they do a lot of good, and they turn a lot of people on to incredible performances and incredible works of art. So... Do either of you have picks you want to start out with, or should I just uh... aside from Parasite last year? Let me pull up these. <laughs> let me pull up yeah, the list, that's... dude. <laughs> I, I mean, was, that's an easy one that I was gonna say. 
Um, but let me look real quick. <laughs> yeah, pa- Parasite being the most recent one in memory. I mean, we all um, we all saw that movie before. I mean, JL saw it opening weekend. Uh, uh, yeah, it was like a month before it opened um, nationwide. And uh, I got these sick glasses. Oh, you got the bar glasses. <laughs> yeah, those are so cool. <laughs> the ones Amazing. on the poster that they uh, they show over the eyes. That was so cool to have. Amazing. Um, what else? Oh, you can go ahead. Um, my pick is Slumdog Millionaire for Best Picture. That's a really good one. In a year where it was up against... Um, I, I don't want to get it wrong here, so I am going to pull it up as well. I think... Um, that movie is incredible, has aged incredibly well. And I think even though, um, that movie was effectively the Oscars recognizing Danny Boyle as, um, the, like a very talented director, he had only made, um, outsider movies. I would say before that train spotting, uh, the 28 weeks, days later, uh, series, um, so Slumdog Millionaire was his first like movie that could have um, could have won this, I suppose you could say. Like it was it was in contention by the Oscars. Um, it won and it deserves it. And uh, yeah, that's 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 my pick off the dome. Okay. <laughs> JL, you got anything? <laughs> it's like I'm really trying to look. Okay, you, um, off the top of my head, do you want me to go with a pretty basic one? Is it? Uh, mo- I can just like think of. Is it Moonlight? No, but I was actually that's actually a good one. So I, I just recently watched Moonlight, and I really liked it a lot. And I think that one deserved it for sure, um, in my opinion. Um, I think it was great. I think I, I wish I would have gone into it with no expectations. I didn't realize how subdued. And so, uh, just, I don't know. It's beautiful. It's very intimate. Um, but then there's also these huge displays of emotion that I loved about it. It's slice of slice of life, but it's beautiful slice of life. Yeah. And then Mahershala Ali gives one of the best performances I've ever seen. Um, the basic choice that I initially was going with because I could just think of it off the top of my head was, uh, best actor, Heath Ledger and uh, best supporting. Was it best supporting? Mm. I think best supporting for dark Knight. Yeah. Um, that is undisputably earned yeah. deserved. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, a, a tribute. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep looking though while JL yeah, I know. So I just like I feel like the list that I keep seeing, I'm like it's like yeah, 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 but um, nothing that's like super undisputed to me. I think oh, let me see, Birdman was a uh, best picture back 2015. That's had a, a pretty good uh competitors though for it. Let me look. 2015, you had. American Sniper was up for best picture in 20. <laughs> yeah, see, right, well, that, there's a good yeah, one. This Birdman versus. <laughs> this is why, like, you know, I was I was kind of at a loss for questions going into the week. Um, maybe we should open it up to the people to decide what we talk about. But while I was um, while I was looking through this, I was just thinking about how like the Oscars are mostly about what sells. The, yeah. the most like infinity war was up for something infinity war won a bunch of awards and like 
I'll go on the record. That movie sucks. Um, <laughs> but, oh, and like the other one is like Green Book, Best Picture. Like, what the hell? Like, Shape of Water, yeah. Best Picture. Like, a lot of the time the Oscars just pick like, they make very um, politically and um, mm-hmm. financially motivated decisions. Um, but sometimes, sometimes they knock it out of the park. Um, so... Yeah, I'll go with Moonlight as mine. You know, I think they really did knock it out of the park with that one, even though they initially said La La Land. But <laughs> you know, I think it was it was, JL, it was the right choice for you. Did Spider Verse win uh, Best Animated? S- Spider Verse definitely won Best Animated. I, let me look at what it was against, because I swear to God, if it was like I think it was against Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story Four was it? or something? Oh hell no! Or, <laughs> yeah, I don't even like Toy Story Four that much, to be honest. Yeah, it's I mean like. Good job for the animators, but like overall, it was just like kind of felt also too extra for me. It beat out Incredibles two. I love dogs. Mirai and Ralph breaks the internet. Mirai. Toy Story that? four actually won in twenty nineteen, folks. Oh okay. Um. So yeah, I think Spider Verse was extremely deserving for that one against that competition for sure. I haven't seen I Love Dogs. I should. I mean, I haven't either. <laughs> I can do like whole whole podcast on reviewing the animal movies, the eyes of a dog. I love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. For those listeners I, out there, I am I am very allergic to dogs. So uh, the the only way I can experience dogs is through c- cinema. <laughs> yeah, whenever Tyler would come over to my house, he would uh, back oh, in the day. He would it would be a very difficult experience because I had a cat. And there was cat hair everywhere. Dude, so I would end up allergic to that as well. I would end up crying, and it's not because we watched good movies. <laughs> All right. So uh, the other question I had was, "What's a movie that you watched and you didn't like it at first, but you have since grown to appreciate it? You don't have to love it. Doesn't have to be one of your favorite films ever, but something you didn't like that you've now grown to like." Um, I'll give one. This might be a little bit of a hot take. I I don't know if I didn't like it at first, but uh, The Shape of Water, I left the theater uh, not uh, a little under a little underwhelmed. I'm not gonna lie. I I liked it. I liked uh, Del Toro's style. I thought that was cool, but I wasn't I wasn't buying the Best Picture hype. And I, I don't think I don't think I buy the best picture hype still for that movie, but I do appreciate the artistry in it, and I appreciate that it's a good movie. Uh, the story is pretty cool. Um, her relationship with the monster is interesting, and there's good performances acting overall. But yeah, it just didn't really hit home for me. Like I feel like it did with a lot of other people, but I do appreciate it as a good movie. Yeah. Uh, honestly, for me, when we talked about Burning earlier today, the first time I watched it, I was like, "What is?" I, I in my heart, I'm like, "This is like a five star movie," but in my head, I'm like, "I don't even know what I just watched. What just happened?" And then upon like watching it a second time, and like finally figuring out, or kind of like seeing it through a different lens and seeing how early they introduced some of the themes, I'm like. This is a goddamn masterpiece. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that movie um, had to sink in for me too. Yeah, so I think it's like most challenging movies like that for me. Um, that happens where I'm like, 
I don't really know what I just watched, but I know this is good and I need to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Meditate on it, right? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have one. I don't know how you guys are going to, going to feel about this. Um, Juno. Juno. Hmm. Juno. The movie about, um, oh, wow. uh, pregnant teenagers yeah. and, and yeah, run- I have not seen that movie in so long. Michael Sarah is a runner. Um, so you would think I would <laughs> relate to it. Um, I think the first time I saw it, um, unfortunately, I, th- I think the first, yeah, I, I first watched it on an airplane. Okay. And so like already watching movies on an airplane, I think a lot of how a movie hits you is the environment with which you watch it in. If you watch it with friends, if you watch it alone, if you watch it on a big screen, small screen, whatever, if you're on a plane, you're not going to, you're not going to like the movie you're watching. Right. So then, or at least, you know, <laughs> I watched the favorite on a plane and I really like the favorite. <laughs> so I guess that's not ubiquitous. Right. But, um, yeah, watching uh, watching Juno for the first time, I was like, oh, corny, whatever. I was like, I don't know, like 12 when I saw it. Like, this sucks. Like, whatever. This is not good. It was on TV at one point when I was sick home from school. And like, I watched like half of it and I was like, nah, I still don't like this. Then I watched it like, uh, I don't know, like a year and a half ago or something. Um, and I was like, wow, wait a minute. This is like, this is really honest and um, deals with a lot of... Um, a lot of conflicts that I think are, are nuanced um, and very sensitive, um, and it deals with it in a very mature and beautiful way. Um, so I, I appreciate that movie now. And then the other that's one, really, oh, that's sorry. a really good answer. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you really went deep for that one, and that's yeah. actually an amazing answer because I think I would feel the same way. I think I watched that probably when I was like twelve, and I didn't think it was that good. I think I, I think I thought it was kind of dumb back then and i bet if i watched it now i'd probably appreciate it more too i i mean i don't want to like make excuses for us but i think like if you're 12 or 13 and you're a boy trying to empathize with a pregnant teenager is like it's so alien yeah <laughs> it's it's just yeah it's at that age i was like dude clash of the titans is the best movie i've ever watched <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you're not thinking about you're not even thinking about other people, let alone thinking about you're art. Not, you're not even thinking. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you're thinking about COD, honestly. Yeah. Not much has changed. Anyway. <laughs> um, but the uh, my other my other answer for this, um, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a weenie. I don't love super scary things that go bump in the night. So the first time I watched The Birds and the first time I watched Psycho, I did not have a good time. I straight up did not have a good time. Um, but I have watched them since and they are masterpieces. That is all. I watched The Birds in high school. In uh, This is a really random film anecdote. We had that class that was called British Film Through Literature in high school. It was like an elective. And one of the funniest things about that class is that Half of the movies that we watched were not based on British literature at all. <laughs> and it was just like completely random choices just of hi- films that we were watching. Just Hitchcock and shit? W- yeah, and one of them was The Birds. <laughs> and I, yeah, I watched The Birds in class and I actually really enjoyed it. It's just wild. JL, did you answer? I'm sorry. I 
Uh, yeah, kind of. Because when I, I mean, just saying like Burning and then yeah, some of these other more challenging movies. Even The Lighthouse too. I knew in my, like, the emotional response I had was like, Boy. this is awesome. And then coming out of it, I'm like, what What did I just watch? <laughs> Seeing it again, I'm like, wow. Wow. That movie, that movie rocks. Uh, that movie for you know rocks. What? You know what? Actually, I think I I I'm not. I liked Moonlight a lot, but that movie had to sink in for me a lot. Like I really had to think about that one and appreciate it more for what it was to really love it. And I think it's just like the pacing of of the movie is what kind of threw me off, and the ending was very abrupt. I think the abrupt ending to Moonlight is what got me. Mm. <laughs> so I was just sitting there like, hmm. Wow, and then I just really had to <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's another one. Good stuff, boys. Good stuff all around. Well, I think that uh, about does it for another successful episode of the Now Screening podcast. But before we go, you know we uh, we like to talk about what we're going to be uh, watching, talking about, dissecting, diving into for next week's. Uh, or two weeks from now, excuse me, two weeks from now, uh, episode. So we've we've dove into some 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 heavy stuff here this week, wouldn't you say, boys? Yeah, I would yeah. say so. It, it 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 got a little intense, and uh, even before that, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You know, that's that's some heavy cinema. That's, yeah. So, in the spirit of keeping things uh, uplifting for quarantine. Uh, we have all agreed to watch, or uh, yeah, watch um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, a uh, documentary from 2012 that's on Netflix about an 85-year-old sushi chef. And, uh, you know, it's it's a quick I'm so watch. Excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's an hour 25. It's a real quick watch. It's really wholesome, apparently. Um, we all love sushi in the, in the mm. podcast. I just love Japan. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is like, I, st I started that documentary a while ago and I don't think I finished it. So I was so happy when you mentioned it. I was like, yes, I need to finish yeah. watching that. And I know it's really good. So I'm excited. And then as a second pick, cause I guess it's my week. It is your um, week. Since we're doing a documentary and something different, um, we haven't done any animation yet, so I wanted to do a Satoshi Kone film. Yes! Um, yeah, and then I was actually in between a couple of them, but because it's documentary... Andy, have you seen Millennium Actress? No, All I've right. heard about it, <laughs> We should totally do that one. I love it. I haven't seen Millennium Actress either. Oh my gosh, dude. Okay, we can definitely do that one because it's on Amazon Prime uh, video. Hell yes. I've only so, seen... I just paprika and perfect blue yeah so it's, i would say stylistically you'll see how it it's kind of similar to perfect blue but definitely more wholesome and kind of like on that like more lighter uh thing that we're looking for for next week so i think i say this every time but this is going to be a really good week I'm actually really excited <laughs> about yeah. these. this is going to be freaking sick okay yeah all right we're diving into japan next week man we have done one american movie and i guess an american tv show so far <laughs> good job boys yeah. yeah very cultured on this podcast this is no, a... we didn't even do that intentionally we just picked ones that we wanted to watch <laughs> yeah i mean it's not my fault good stuff comes from other countries. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's like stepping up, America. Come on. 
<laughs> no more superhero stuff. Unless it's the new Batman with uh, Robert Pattinson. So oh, that's cool baby. Robert Pattinson can do no wrong. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Now Screening Podcast. This has been another wonderful, successful week with the boys. And I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you'll tune in next time to see what's now screening.